Hey, this is Alex from Eyewitness Records, and you're listening to the Paradise Arcade. The Paradise Arcade contains graphic language. Listener discretion is advised. Listening to the Paradise Arcade with Kyle and Eric, promoting synthwave music and culture. Welcome to another episode of the Paradise Arcade. This week, we've got a really special guest I'm excited to have on the show, Alex from Eyewitness Records. How you doing, Alex? Doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I think, you know, I thought it was time that we switch it up. We usually have artists on. Um, sometimes we have adjacent folks on but i think getting a a record label person especially something that you and i are very passionate about kyle right the Mm, vinyl mm -hmm. we are vinyl fanatics and i know that is really really cliche to say but it's true it's just the way synthway vinyl is where it's at chef's kiss Mm -hmm. um but before we get into the interview and before we get talking too much and distracted i just want to make sure Follow us on our socials. Um, you can find our podcast on all podcasting platforms. I think pretty much everywhere. We're just minus Stitcher, and I think that's about it. Um, also, check out Alex Eyewitness Records on Instagram, and you're on Twitter, right, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's mainly Instagram and Twitter. For sure. There you go. Um, make sure you check out his stuff, uh, Bandcamp as well, for all your releases, because that's primarily where you release from, right? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, um, we're vinyl boys. We're really, we, we love it. How, what was your journey into getting into being a record label, um, and putting things out and how did the, how did the, I guess the cross section of Synthwave and being a record company come together for you? It's a, yeah, it's a really, it's kind of a long winded and goofy story, I guess. I mean, I've always been. I've been really interested in music since probably like middle school and uh, starting in high school, I started collecting records and, and, you know, this is, I mean, this is in like 2009, 2010. So kind of before all of this stuff was really happening. I mean, I started collecting records when like the chill wave stuff was going on. So I was getting all like the washed out and Tori Moi and neon Indian, that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, like I was always just super interested in collecting records. I loved the packaging and the different color records you could get and all the extra liner notes and, you know, all the, all of that stuff. It was so interesting to me being someone that grew up with like, you know, CDs and like an iPod mini and stuff like that. Um, so it's always been, it's been something I've been like super interested and passionate in for a while now. Um, and then basically in college, I was uh, in kind of like ele- an electronic, like disco edit, future funk, whatever you want to call it, band. And through that, through like the internet, I met all these other like-minded producers. And one of them, uh, he originally ran this uh, synthwave chill synth record label he doesn't run it anymore but it's called midwest collective and they released this uh 
album called Odyssey by Home. And around that time, it must have been like 2015, it was kind of starting to pop off. I think it was like going viral on Vine, the whole Simpson wave thing was happening. And it was kind of just like a right place, right time thing where this guy really wanted to do a vinyl release of the album, but he didn't have the time. And, you know, me being someone who's super passionate about music and records and all of that, like, I just kind of took it as an opportunity to start my own label and basically just be like, Hey, like I'll, I'll release it for you. I don't have a label yet, but like, I'll start one right now. Um, so that was kind of the birth of uh, Eyewitness Records. At that time, it was called Dream Girl Records. We uh, changed the name back in like 2019 or so. But yeah, that's kind of like the genesis of all of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, originally, I didn't, you know, I didn't even, I don't even know if Chill Synth or Synthwave was really, I don't really remember seeing that like tag at that point in time. Um, so it's not like I started the label to like solely do that kind of music. Like, I mean, even to this day, I mean, you know, if I could, I would release like, you know, I, I'm a big fan of like goth 80s style music. Like if I could find like a really good shoegaze dream pop band, I would totally put them out. You know, like I, I love all different kinds of music, but um, it just kind of like we just kind of fell into the the chill synth synth wave thing and uh because around that time a lot of other artists were starting to kind of take like that formula that like home was doing with his couple albums and like building on it and uh those are kind of the people that we work with how much of like a blessing and a curse was it to release that album <laughs> um yeah it's definitely i mean we still to this day will get emails and twitter dms like asking if we're going to repress it and all that jazz um i mean a couple a couple of weeks ago i got a message from someone saying like hey like i'll give you anything for a repress of home odyssey including one of these and it was just like a picture of a slug <laughs> like just the weirdest like just like how do you you know how do you respond to that <laughs> Um, like, yeah, so it's definitely like, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes for a little bit, it was kind of annoying when people would like comment on tweets, just like, you know, home odyssey win or whatever. But like, I mean, at the same time, like it was our first release we ever did. I mean, we sold like 800 copies, like 800 records for our first release and we literally had no presence of any kind before then. So I want to say that's, that's really impressive. It's, I mean, it's, I mean, it just goes to show how good that Odyssey album is. I mean, all three of Holmes records are just all like, I mean, total classics. I, I'm a big fan of his music and especially his third record falling into place. That's my personal favorite. Um, but yeah, I think it just goes to show how like, yeah, I mean, that album was kind of a trendsetter, <clears throat> trendsetter in a way. Um, yeah, definitely very thankful to have been able to be a part of it. Is it so I my question, then my follow up question is, um, so you can answer definitively. I would say. <laughs> I would say a, 
a big maybe. It's like, I don't know. There's a lot of uh, layers to it. Um, you know, I'm pretty in the dark on all of it for the most part. Um, you know, I'm trying though. I mean, if I, yeah, cause that's like pretty you know, cash. if I could right now, I would. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is definitely like a pretty, you know, a pretty risk-free release. And yeah, I mean, if I, if I got the okay, I would absolutely do a whole, you know, lavish box set of all the albums and, you know, just put a bunch of money into it because I mean, one, yeah, it's like not a super like risky endeavor. People want it. And I mean, like I was saying earlier, I mean, all three of those records are just like internet classics in my eyes, like, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say no, I'm not going to say no, it's never going to happen, but I, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think what people it, need to understand is that um, yeah. releasing people's music can be complicated for a variety of reasons. And the, you've got the artist, and if the artist, I'm assuming he owns his own rights to his music and what he wants to do with it and whether that you get the blessing to yeah, do it. Absolutely. And they might have a different vision than you. And and so, you know, it it gets tough. Although, if I was the artist, why wouldn't you want it? Absolutely. Put back yeah, on vinyl. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. I'm sure somebody somewhere has their reasons. Yep. You did answer my follow up because I was just gonna say like other home albums when. <laughs> but going off of what you said about people reaching out to you, right? Just like, even as a person who owns a copy, and just has it in my band or not band camp but in my uh, discog collections and i've posted a picture on instagram before i will regularly get messages from people just like sell this to me <laughs> give this to me yeah i have the original press oh you you have, you have a copy of it the black oh. i think that's the original one right the black or the yeah. orange oh yeah absolutely that's yeah did you buy it when it came out, like from us directly? Yeah, one of my friends gave me the heads oh, up. Oh, that's like, amazing, dude! You need to get that's this so right cool. now. I know you're into records. This, like, this just dropped, and it was an instant buy for me. No regrets, of course. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's so funny. In my personal collection, it's like it is probably my most expensive and valuable album. Um, Second would probably be, I waited, uh, when was it? It was like Black Friday, 2013 or 14. I waited with a friend for like nine hours outside of a uh, record store in Indianapolis to get a copy of uh, Government Plates by Death Grips uh, with like the license plate or whatever. Um, <laughs> Please do. I know that I know that Kyle's got interesting some, stuff like that later. Rare. Yeah. You know, you're, you've got some prize like Rad Rush records mm -hmm. things. It's it, really all it is is being there the moment that it was released. Yeah, that's like, it. Just being lucky enough for that. Lucky enough to have a friend who, you know, put me on to that album, to, you know, Home's Odyssey. And it's also one of my most played records, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, and, and that's the big thing with, like, all this Chilson stuff that I, like, one of the reasons why I like the music so much is because it's really, 
it's really good music to be able to like you can just like take a record out and put it on you know you can have some friends over be playing like video games or something kind of have it as background music um but then at the same time you can like get a nice pair of headphones on you know have like you know turn the lights off and just close your eyes and get mm-hmm. really like really introspective with it like it kind of it it weirdly works for both of those kind of scenarios like a casual and like super in-depth listen um which is definitely one of the reasons why i'm like super fascinated in this music and based on like some like comments we'll get from like uh supporters or like fans like it kind of i don't think i'm the only one i definitely that, agree that, with uh, you on your point. It um, it's more of a recent thing for me like going to the chill synth side i've always been like a dark synth um or more traditional synth wave person and the chill synth really i love it because you could be driving with it you can be at home doing other things you could pay attention or not pay attention to it and it really is um still engaging no matter what you know like level of attention you pay to it big time washing the dishes album for me (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's great. So, do so, Kyle. Do you make sure that you put it on the record player when you're doing it, washing the dishes? Like you. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. So that's good to know. Like, you is it like a timing thing? Because like, what is it? Twenty minutes per side. So you give yourself like about that. It gives me a little bit of time to get some stuff done. I I don't have a dishwasher. I am the dishwasher, so I have to do all the work myself. So something's got to take the monotony out of doing that. So, you know, you're you're obviously a fan accidentally just falling into it, you know, being, um, you know, a, a sort of a, a bigger presence in that scene. What what chill synth artists th- are you really fascinated by or interested in now? One of my. You know, it's one of those things I I love all of them equally. Of course, um, I guess as far as new material goes that I've heard from some of the uh, the people on our roster, um, some of the stuff that Admo has been working on over the past like nine or ten months has been pretty incredible. Um, I really like the direction he's going in. Um, I think he's a good. I think he's a good example of taking you know someone that's taking clearly influenced by like home and emil rotmeyer and stuff like that like you know he's like taking that foundation and totally doing his own thing with it um that's why like his 77 ep was like the one i heard that i was just like oh oh my goodness i need to work with this person in some capacity because he's like he's doing like these chill synth style songs but he's putting these like really cool acoustic like blown out acoustic guitars over it and like i don't know just making it his own thing and uh some of the demos he's shown me a couple months back are just like i mean they're crazy they're like it's like this weird cross between like chill synth and like psychedelia or something it's it's really cool so Definitely excited for some uh, future Admo stuff. I think uh, Rosentwig is kind of in the same boat where he, uh, his new record he's working on. It, it's, you know, it's it's definitely a chill synth album, but there's things going on in it that are way like, way different. Like almost like 
cinematic like movie you know like movie score like something like uh like something like an m like like an m83 style like movie soundtrack or something but like mixed with the chill synth uh genre so yeah those are two i'd say interesting and i like that the the fact that you're what you're attracted to is sort of the experimental nature of both of those people where they're bringing in new things and that's to me, I think really the future of, if you want to call it synthwave or retro inspired electronic music or however you want to, you know, good music, good music, however you want to, I think the only way you can really progress forward is, is, um, is to continue to experiment and do different things within it and not just copy, you know, the same, you know, if it's laser hawk or whoever, those same kind of things over and over and over again, you've got to bring in new ideas. And I think, you know, people that, that do that, um, I really admire, you know, I, I, you know, on your roster, System 96, I really like a lot of the stuff that he does. Um, and he has a really interesting mm-hmm. perspective because he's much younger than us, like significantly. So his idea of what nostalgia is and what those feelings are and where they come from are different than 80s because he's not, wasn't even remotely born in the 80s. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting um, right. thing that he does his version of nostalgia which also still fits into the retro thing but it's not a cookie cutter copy of somebody else that's old like kyle and i <laughs> <laughs> old boys uh, <laughs> i'm i'm 38 how, how and i'm 39 <laughs> quickly to be 40 oh, okay cool a sad sad day coming up <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just turned 27. Congratulations. Like you have a week ago. your whole life behind you. Yeah. You've now <laughs> entered into to probably the greatest age yes. of my life. Yeah. 27. For sure. That was, oh, that was the best. Oh, dude. <laughs> it's reminisce about old days. <laughs> <laughs> You've got so much ahead of you. That's great. I, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, the late, I'm like officially in my late twenties, and I swear, like, I turned twenty seven, and then like a week later, I like weighed myself, and I'd gained like almost ten pounds. I can't even make that up. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I feel like welcome. a different era is coming on. <laughs> we welcome you to this new phase of your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so ridiculous but yeah i mean i mean i guess i, I wanted to bring it up just be, mainly because you know i was born in like 1994 so like i mean most 80s stuff for me isn't really a nostalgia thing i mean there's exceptions i mean i remember at a young age my mom like playing shalimar and like patrice russian in the car all the time um so like i'm nostalgic for those artists but right not because they're from the 80s necessarily um same deal with like the goonies like that was like a vhs tape i had when i was like five so you know i was watching it in like 2000 but like well, let me ask I'm you this nostalgic um, about that movie. There, um, it's interesting because i i know people that are my age um but didn't necessarily grow up with the same kind of like media the movies and music that i did they were you know doing other things um, or had other experiences that I did. Uh, for you though, um, did what are your feelings if you watch like Terminator 
does that what what does that bring up for you or Blade Runner for instance do you see that as someone being born in the 90s and having the 90s movies kinds of things and looking back at Blade Runner do you go well that's cool or you're like man I really love this Oh yeah, I'm. I'm. You know, I. Yeah, I mean, I, both of those movies specifically. I don't look at them at all with any sort of like nostalgia. I mean, I do like Blade Runner. I don't love it. I don't. You know, it's not like. I wouldn't say it's like the greatest sci-fi movie ever. I mean, I'd probably take Terminator over it, honestly. Um, but that's mainly because I'm a big horror movie fan and I love that the original Terminator is like, I mean, it's more of a slasher movie than a sci-fi movie in my opinion. Um, I mean, it's like both like, which is, I mean, that's what I like so much about it. I mean, he is like a, he's like a Michael Myers or a Jason Voorhees, like an indestructible, like cold blooded killer with a body count. It's awesome. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely like, super into both of those movies but yeah i don't like it's not like i watch them and i'm like oh my gosh like you know that's what the 80s were like or something i mean i don't know i guess i guess something Mm. not you know what actually i might backtrack on that a bit because being born in like 94 i was born right in a period of time where like practical effects were being phased out as far as like right conventional use of special effects go in movies like that's kind of i feel like that's kind of when practical effects are really getting phased out for cg i mean like you know jurassic park was like a year before my birthday uh, or before i was born like i feel like that's like one of the big ones of like you know cgi fading in um and so i guess i guess that's probably the biggest part for me as far as like older movies like Terminator and Blade Runner and RoboCop and like the thing, you know, like they're all like, they all have like this really, I mean, they do feel like an, an, another era because of those practical effects. Like, cause you know, when I was in like middle school, like the popular movie was like Transformers like the Michael yeah. Bay one, which is just like a CGI, like extravaganza. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm going to backtrack on saying that there isn't any sort of like do nostalgia you feel like, even for me um, with those like, movies. Do you get taken out by the, the practical effects or do you find them, are you still immersed in the movie? Oh, I, I mean, I might be an outlier for people my age. Um, because I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of practical effects, like absolutely. I mean, I think there's a place for practical effects and for CG. Like, obviously, CG can do some really amazing things. Like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of like the Marvel movies or anything, but like, you know, you couldn't do Infinity War the way they did it without CG. Like, it's clearly like a really useful tool to have for making movies. Um, but there is something really magical about practical effects. I mean, I remember, I mean, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I remember the first time I saw the thing, um, the John Carpenter one. And I mean, my mind was blown. I was just like, how, how is it even possible for like 
the fact that all of that stuff is like in front of the camera is just like mind blowing. And even, I mean, even as like a mature adult, like I, I still just like don't understand how they made that movie. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. crazy. Big fan. Uh, the Fly is the same kind of deal with the the Cronenberg so, Fly that's, for sure. That's why I ask these questions, or I feel like I need to ask these questions. Um, I, I'm just curious because if you're used to CGI and you're used to a certain level of photorealism in your movies, and you've just had it forever, does it the do the practical effects still have the same impact on that viewer? And I'm happy that that's your response because I get you know in my life, I know certain people are like it's dumb. I don't get it. My older brother, I just made him watch the thing a couple weeks ago. He came back into work mad at me. I work with him. He came into work and was like, why did you make me watch that movie? Okay. The special effects in it were so terrible. What? And I absolutely could not believe the words that were coming out of his wow. mouth because I was like, this movie has the most amazing did you punch him? Practical effects. I disowned him at that point. I no longer <laughs> right. speak to him anymore. <laughs> it's like, dude, he just stomped on something holy That's, for you. Oh, man. And, and the only other thing that I can think of would be like the practical effects in Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. Like, how? And again, how? How was this something Actually, that was even possible? Condoms and lube. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, and then here's another thing, though, as an old person like myself. You were mentioning Blade Runner. If someone was like Blade Runner or Blade, to me, <laughs> I would be like, "Give me Blade all day." That resonates more with me than anything in uh, Blade Runner. You know, even being an ancient person. <laughs> so there's that too. I I'll agree with you on that. I, you know, I will take Blade over Blade Runner. Well, I know we might get like disowned from listeners for saying that, but man, Blade. Hmm. That movie's so good. It is so good. Like that was the fir- I feel like that was the first actually really well done superhero movie. And a lot of people didn't know that at the time either. They were unaware. You take yeah. an obscure jive talking comic book character from the seventies and you put Wesley Snipes, who you primarily was known for like jive talking over the top characters, and you make him like this big, giant hulking brooding wisecracking person I, it, it was great sexy ass steven dorf <laughs> <laughs> deacon frost man what a great name <laughs> that's got that that's got frost, the abracadabra yeah, effect i would say deacon frost it's almost like a porn star name yeah that's really go ahead yeah that's a, it should that be. sounds like a synth wave name Kyle, actually, that's your new honestly. synth wave name Deacon yeah. Frost. Everybody's switching around like counters. Yeah. <laughs> Fecan Doss. Right. <laughs> that's actually not Fecan a Doss. that's not a bad idea. I like that. You should run with it. I have zero talent. <laughs> Can't run with it. Uh well, you know. Um yeah, that, I mean that's really I really like your your insight into that and appreciate a lot of those things and because i realize that like i'm totally blinded by my own nostalgia or how i grew up with things and what i was exposed to and and that clouds my you know maybe objectivity to why i like certain things because there's no rational reason why i like 
the old movies versus something new, you know, because it's just my my taste. And, and, and so I'm just curious, you know, you coming into that. And, and I, you know, you mentioned uh, David Cronenberg's The Fly and like that movie like freaked me out. Oh, man, that movie, that movie did shit to me when I was a kid. Like the arm wrestling part. Yeah, it was over at that point for me. Holy fuck. Yeah, and I still watch that movie, and I'm like, yeah. God damn, it is like there's something real gruesome about it, and just like the the body horror aspects of it. Like you, it'd be such an easy cop out to do that now um, with CGI, but I think that movie proved that you could do those things in front of the camera and still be disturbing shit. Absolutely. I mean. Yeah, I'm curious. Now I'm curious if you, uh, Kyle, if you'd show your older brother the 2011 thing remake with all the CGI. He was looking through the list of movies and he was like, well, I saw this one, the newer one, and I almost watched that. I should have watched that one instead. Oh, he would have loved it. You know what would have made him love it even more? If The Rock was in that movie. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh He's oh, just man. replaced Arnold Schwarzenegger for The Rock now. It, yeah, it, that is exactly the case. It is a hundred percent true. That not even joking. That's that's his new thing because Arnold's not anything anymore. Now he's like obsessed with The Rock. It's very interesting. It speaks a lot to your brother. I was like, nothing The Rock has ever been in is nowhere near the upper echelon of cinema. <laughs> do you remember? Do you guys either one of you remember the the? Mm. It, it was like a faux movie trailer in a movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger played like Hamlet. <laughs> what? No. It was like it, it was just like a quick thing where it's like no, no. Arnold's in like it draped in blue light and like medieval garb and he goes, Your father or your brother betrayed me. Big mistake. And that was like sort of like the and that was it. That was the intro to like Henry the Eighth or whatever or Macbeth or whatever it was that he was doing. And I thought it was and he was still like huge at the time. So it was Amazing. I want to see that movie. It sounds like that would have been something like the fake previews in Grindhouse. No, but it it, it wasn't. <laughs> oh, it was. You know what? I think it may have been in Last Action Hero. Maybe. And then I was going to say, if it was anything, I could see it in that one. Maybe that's, that's where it's from. That's what I was going to guess. Which I hated sure. at the time, but don't mind it so much now. I've only, I've only seen bits of that movie. I I really like the gag with uh, Sylvester Stallone. Oh, yeah, like amazing. the Terminator on the poster or whatever. That's that was like, I was I mean, dying when I saw that. There, Sylvester Stallone and Arnold's like foe. I don't know if it was ever like a real rivalry or not, or if they've always been friends and just played it up. Right. Um, like but Beatles, yeah, in that movie Stones to have him do thing. that, I mean, I was just like, yeah, that's that's amazing. The classics, the classics. God, we're sounding like old people. I we are. It. I hate it. But I also want to say something about the movies being classics. It doesn't matter when you're born to appreciate. True. Any of these, and that goes to my point being that some movies transcend when they come what era they come from and are always good no matter what. Absolutely. I, yeah, I completely agree. Like, yeah, I mean, like for me, like, I mean, 
you know, I'm, I'm assuming both of you are probably pretty nostalgic about like the Goonies. Um, and I am too, but like, you know, like I said, I, I was watching it in like 2000, 2002. Um, not really, you know, I didn't really, I don't know at that time. I didn't even, I didn't know what like purple rain was, <laughs> you know, like I didn't, I didn't oh know who God. Corey Feldman was. I didn't, I, I don't know. I didn't know like any like of that being stuff. Being obsessed with Co- not obsessed. I just but being aware of Corey Feldman movie. and being like, it's it's Corey. He's in the thing again. Like in like tracking his career as I as I grew up. Were you a Corey? Which Corey were you? Were you Corey? I was neither. Neither. Wow. I mean, but like Lost Boys. That was. I never saw that until I was an adult. Stand by me. Oh yeah, of course I saw that as a kid. Ninja Turtles. Yes, but I remember it being a kid <laughs> and being conflicted between the two because I'm like, oh, I like the cartoon and this movie is kind of fucking whack. <laughs> Not verbatim me saying that as a kid watching the the Ninja Turtles movie, <laughs> but but still, I was like, mm, this isn't for me. I will appreciate it. Uh, it wasn't until the second movie came out that I really enjoyed it, being the Vanilla Ice fan I was at the time. Uh, obviously. Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Man, that's that's too bad. Like, I was, a, I was into Corey, definitely. Like, he was in some really good movies back in the day. And then, obviously, once he hit adulthood, it, it went downhill. But, you know, that's life. I can't imagine being a... Uh, a child actor that doesn't seem like a thing I'd want to do. No. Um, so, you Absolutely know, you, it, it seems like for you, like you happened upon, um, like gold for your first release. It's a classic. And you're in this point where yourself where people are nostalgic for home and, and that release and, and striking gold. What are you, I mean, what do you look for now? I mean, what's your, are you looking for a common theme? You said you, you know, you would love to release like a shoegaze or maybe, maybe a post-punk kind of um, record. Are you looking to expand? You know, what do you look for now? Yeah. So, I mean, it's super tough because like I said earlier, I would love to, you know, I'd love to release a shoegaze band or like, yeah, a post-punk album. Um, I'm a big like techno and house fan as well. We've done some house releases here and there, um, but I've just found like one of the issues is like, because of, again, it's like a blessing and a curse, like the community that we're involved with and like our primary fan base, like, you know, we can release an album that would fall into the chill synth or synthwave category. Like, like the system 96 records we did recent, uh, somewhat recently, like, you know, we didn't even, we didn't even do any sort of promotion for it at all. And we didn't even say anything about the fact that we were releasing something on that day. We literally just put it up for sale, said, surprise, check this out really good buy it you know whatever and that like initial weekend sales for that album was the highest we've ever had um 
for any like opening weekend release for an album, um, which is just crazy. And then like, you know, we'll release like, like a lo-fi house album by like an artist that has like more Spotify streaming and, you know, more followers on Instagram or whatever. And like, we still haven't even really gotten close to selling out of those albums. It's, it's super interesting how like, um, and again, I, I think it's like, a, I think it's a strength of the genre and the fan base and the community, not a weakness. Like, I don't want it to sound like it's like a bad thing. I think it's a good thing how like, how just like devoted and like super passionate these people are for this music. Um, it reminds me a lot of Vaporwave back in like the early 2010s, like, cause I was one of those people with Vaporwave where I was just obsessed with it like almost to the point where it was like a lifestyle thing you know like like pretty close to that level of obsession um so yeah i guess like that being said as far as like specifically chill synth and synthwave kind of music the main thing the main thing i look for is just something that gives me an emotional response like you know because you know if anyone wants to they can like you know they can download like logic or fruity loops or something and get like some drum samples and like a vst for a synth <laughs> and make some like shitty song you know like i think we just became much friends every, now. I think like that's for real i mean it was the same thing with vapor <laughs> Yeah, it's like it was the same thing with Vaporwave, where it's like anyone can take like a Diana Ross song and rip it off of YouTube and slow it down and make a Vaporwave track. Like anyone can do that. Um, is it going to be good? Probably not. Um, and that's my whole thing is like, you know, because of that, like the genre is definitely and you know, with it being like primarily on the Internet, um, at least from my viewpoint, um, you know, that just calls for a recipe of like oversaturation of of uh, mediocre music and so for me really my main thing that i look for is if i listen to a track that someone sends me or if i'm just like searching for a new artist whatever like i just i need to be able to hear it and it gives me some sort of emotional response whether it's like excitement or joy or like sadness or something you know like because that's kind of like I don't know i kind of equate it to the same idea as like going with a gut feeling you know like it's just like this like visceral response you have to the music and it's like to me that's a really good sign and you know people can i don't know i mean take like the new kanye west album for example like that album probably had so much money put into it for all like the of promotion and the theatrics and all the features and the producers and everything, you know? And like, I tried listening to it and it, <laughs> I hated it. I was just like, this sucks. And like, this isn't doing anything for me, you know? Like, um, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but yeah, I guess really just, you know, being able to hear the passion in a song, like, and I mean, I think, every artist that we've released like qualifies for that where like they clearly are really passionate about the music that they're making and trying to like elicit some sort of like Here's what emotional I'm hearing, response what from saying. the listener. 
Um, to have a good ear is a skill set. It's both intuition and um, some level of thought that goes to do it because you're in a business, obviously. Um, and what I'm hearing is that, you know, if you right. feel someone's sincerity, passion, um, intention of expression in a song, album, you can get behind it. But then when it feels hollow, contrived, like Kanye West, which I would argue that's most of his music as far as I'm concerned. I'm not a Kanye fan, sorry. Um, but, you know, it. Um, that's what you can get behind. And you can sell that to people. You can get people behind it. Because I think music, especially what you're saying, which is interesting. Another thing I think works to small labels in this overall umbrella retro inspired is that even though you don't necessarily get 4 million streams on Spotify, you can release 500 records or a thousand records or a hundred records and have some level of success because the people that are in it are so passionate about not just the music, but the format as well, which is a perfect position for you to be in as someone that puts out records you can engage a, a level of success um, and you don't have to rely on gigantic production, promotion budgets, etc., to have, to be able to do what you do. I mean, it's amazing to me that you didn't really do anything for system 96 and it just sold. It makes sense though, because it's really good. You know, I really like right. what Blake does. I think it's the next evolution of something that, it, it, and it's really interesting. You can tell he's really passionate about his music. Um, and so I think that's another sort of maybe your right, your ear, right time, right place. You release it. There it is. Boom. Absolutely. Yeah. And system 96 is a great example of that. Like I didn't know about his stuff until pretty recently. And I remember checking out the memories album and that, specifically the second song aperture on that album like as soon as i heard that i was just like this is this is totally it this is someone that this is someone that's passionate about the music they're making like absolutely i think I it was a good play on your part to release it. both um the new album and his first record um and i think it's going to be another one of those you missed it too bad sort of releases i think you know again it's a uh lightning strikes twice scenario and that's my feeling i don't know kyle if you agree with me on that but always if you missed it you blew it right but i i think it's going to be one of those um records that's going to gain notoriety as he continues to grow and develop and um i think there's things from there i think you know like maybe hotel pools level of of notoriety or respect at some point. Like, I think he can get there. He's, he's doing some really interesting things and you got both the records put out. Yeah. Got a, got another one coming up somewhat soon. Um, with a, uh, some pretty exciting stuff on it involving a, a remix from a, uh, Ooh legacy artist if you will it's kind of mentioned earlier i believe uh yeah that'll be 
that would be a really fun release. So how does that feel for you? Looking forward to that one. Get these things and they do really well. I mean, that's is it sort of like vindication that you you know you hear something and you know I want to release this thing because it costs money. Releasing vinyl is very expensive. It just it is, and that's got to feel really amazing to be like this thing sells. I knew it was going to have faith in this thing, and then it's gone. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great feeling for sure. Like, and especially because, like, I mean, it is expensive, but I think more than anything, it's it's just like time consuming, like putting together a record release and then doing like the fulfillment aspect of it, and like you know, keeping up to date with the manufacturer um, to just make things, you know, have like the turnover be as quick as possible. Like, I think the time aspect is for me personally, the biggest like uh, challenge and hurdle, not necessarily like the money. Um, But yeah, I mean, it is definitely like a great feeling. And I, I mean, I love the, like, I love the thought of people just like hanging out and putting on their like system 96 records um, you know, whether it's in their bedroom by themselves or like in the living room with friends or, you know, whatever combination of the two. Um, it's definitely like, you know, cause I mean, I won't get too into it, but obviously like, I don't know, like eyewitness records does well and it's like a profit business, but it's not like, it's like this giant million dollar enterprise you know like it's definitely a passion project first you know job second um so i don't know it's definitely for me like yeah i i I really like the idea of just like all these other people um listening to these albums in whatever uh whatever way how terrible is the shipping aspect because I always forget about that when I think about vinyl and all the steps going into getting that made. But I'd never really stop to think about shipping. I just feel like that has to be so overwhelming. It, it can be, for sure. It definitely... A lot of, like, learning, definitely. Like, a lot of learning, like, release, uh, you know, release by release um, with with the shipping process and like, you know, how to be efficient with it and even being efficient with it, you know, you still gotta, you know, when all the records come in, you have the pre-orders, you still have like, you know, a weekend where you have to pack and ship like 300 albums or something. And yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely tough um, at times, especially something I've noticed and I'm, sure i'm not i'm not the only one um so we started doing stuff technically in like 2016 and since then like international shipping has just it's just like nightmarish at this point i mean to ship a single record to anywhere that isn't canada or i think even mexico is up there like Pretty much shipping anywhere that's not the the U.S. or Canada is like $25, $26 just to ship a record. Um, it, I mean, it's like literally more more than the record. It's it's crazy. I mean, well, and that's like, 
again, that's another thing with the fan base that just blows my mind is there's, there's like, there's these people out in Europe and, and uh, mainly Europe that, you know, they'll drop like almost 50 bucks on just one album, you know, once you factor in shipping. And then at that point, I don't even, you know, some of those countries, like there's additional tariff fees and import, you know, customs fees, all that stuff. Like, it's just wild to me that people are so passionate to do that. I think I've only done that. I think, I don't know. I've, I've personally, you know, I'm such a hypocrite. I've like barely ordered albums from outside of the country Mm -hmm. because the shipping just rocks. Yeah. I mean, as far as like future things go, my main, one of my main goals with the label is to get some sort of international distribution or, you know, some sort of like network setup where we can lower those international shipping costs because i'm just, sure you get the complaints from ridiculous. people like well um, i'd buy this but your your international shipping is is outrageous how could it be this much well that's just what it is yeah for sure yeah i you know i get the frustration like it, it sucks and it's super unfortunate but it is just it's just the reality and unfortunately i don't know i don't think it's gonna like go down anytime soon if, if anything it's just going to keep going up i mean i want to say back in 2016 when we were shipping stuff shipping a record to europe would have been i don't know 16 dollars, 18 i don't know it was definitely it was definitely a pretty significant drop uh it's been I a significant the, jump the, since then. a lot of at least what I've seen initially, like Laser Steel Records started off as like a distribution label, I think. Like he did like Time Slave and EPR releases, and so they ship him so many of the U.S. expected releases, and then he would ship out from there at a reduced shipping rate. I think there's that in reverse in Europe. I think maybe EPR or some other record labels will act as a distributor to us labels or other countries releases to mitigate some of that shipping cost trick is to find someone reliable yeah absolutely i've i've kind of chatted with some of them here and there um about trying to set something up like that it's definitely it's just like i also have like trust issues (laughs) you know like with i don't know i like I just need to find the right people and like professional, you know, just people that are like professional about it all. I'm not talking about the people you mentioned or anything. I'm just saying in general, like, you know, the idea of like handing off all of my stuff to someone to like get it to the customer is a little, it's definitely a little nerve wracking, but again, I think that's a me thing. You're dealing with a lot of money, you know, you're not a giant, multi-national conglomeration where shipping off 100 records or whatever it is to another continent isn't anything that's a big it's a big thing it's a big commitment and uh so i get that you know relationships are key and find the right distributor in another place is is really important i just feel really sorry for australia either getting stuff or shipping stuff out is astronomically yeah, expensive yeah i think i think australia for a single record is 
last time I remember, I want to say it's like 2850. I bought the new client liaison for a single um, album record. And it, I don't want to talk oh, about sure. how much money I spent to get it. The record itself wasn't that expensive. Everything else was the expense. Yes, yeah, directly from them. They Did they had out of um, Australia. I'm assuming Sofa King Records do their EP and their last and their first record, and then now they're doing it themselves this time for the new release. Yeah, but I'm just flabbergasted that they would ship it out from Australia. It's the same thing with uh, Donnie Benet. Like, man, that's expensive to get at it. it. You know, I could. It... It could go either way. Maybe they're thinking, well, most of our fan base might be from here in Australia. Release it here. There'll be no complaints on the shipping. Release it outside of Australia. The rest of the world's happy because they're paying reduced shipping rates, yet that leaves everyone in Australia screwed over as far as shipping prices goes. Who knows? Either way, it's not a, it's not a good thing. <laughs> prices from there. Yeah. And that's and that's one of the tough things with the music because because most of these records are definitely you know, they have followings but they're not like huge like you know, like huge in the sense of like I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a good mid-tier band or something. Um I guess my point is, is like, it's not like the quantity of records you're going to want to press isn't like necessarily high enough to be like, oh, okay, like, we're going to work with a manufacturer in America and in Europe and in Australia. And each of them are going to do like a 1000 records. And then they can, you know, then that way they can be in all of these different sectors of the world to like, take care of like the shipping costs and have, you know, have everything local to those countries um you know that's like you know in a perfect world that's like how i would want to do it but it's yeah like the, the albums aren't necessarily like big enough to like warrant that um which is unfortunate um but yeah i don't know it's it's super tough i mean yeah i need to just kind of put together some sort of plan because I mean, and, you know, I'd go the same, like, you know, other way around, like, I would love to help artists in Europe and Australia if they need, you know, if they need any help with, like, getting an album manufactured, you know, in America or something, like, that's something I would, like, gladly do, like, it doesn't have to be affiliated with my record label in, like, any form, um, you know, definitely just, you know, one, one, you know, I don't want people to have to spend like $28 on shipping for a single album that they really want. That's just like... Unfortunately, it, it is the way it is. <laughs> so what other right. plans do you have? I, I mean, are you? do you feel like you're in the zone as, as far as what you want to accomplish with the label? Or are you looking to do more and different things, expand yourself... I'm curious what the vision is that you have. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want it to become bigger, of course. Like, um, 
Absolutely. But I think with that, like, it's definitely, how do I say it? Like, you know, to get to like grow as a label, I think like not only does the label need to be like driven to do it, but like the artists do as well. And, you know, and there's nothing wrong with this, but a lot of, I feel like personally, a lot of these like chill synth and synthwave artists, they are, you know, the main thing they want to do is like make music and release it and kind of move on and do, you know, just keep doing that, like rinse and repeat and uh, just focus on the music side of things and nothing really more than that. I mean, there's exceptions, of course, and, you know, obviously like with people trying to tour and perform live, which is, you know, at least for the Chilson stuff, a pretty like new, a pretty new thing. Um, so yeah, I think for me, it's like kind of trying to align with the artists that really want to push themselves in a more like traditional professional way. Um, as far as like the music industry goes and kind of run with that. Um, like I would love to book tours for people and like, you know, I would, I would absolutely love to do that. I would love to also get more into distribution. Like, like I was saying earlier, like if I could start my own little mini distribution, uh, like service for other artists trying to release stuff and like put the money up and, you know, do the fulfillment and get all the manufacturing done for them. You know, I would love to do that. Um, those are all kind of like bigger, I don't want to say abstract, but just like, you know, bigger, bigger, uh, long-term goals, uh, as far as like specific to now, I'm definitely really, I really, you mentioned at the system 96, like the fact that we did like the new album and the old, like a repress of the old one at the same time. Um, I'm really digging that format of releases, um, because it also just like, you know, if people can buy them at the same time and like save on shipping. Um, and for us, like it also just like saves us money if we do it all at once. Um, and yeah, I really just want to move forward with that format uh, for future releases. And, um, you know, we got some like box sets coming up, like vinyl box sets, which will be really cool. So that's, kind of uncharted waters I'm like really getting excited about um yeah it'll be cool um yeah I think we have two vinyl box sets right now that we're kind of ironing out the details for um they should be pretty cool and then yeah I can't think of anything else major besides that as far as like future plans. I think you know it sounds like you you take advantage of opportunities as they arise different things that come up um and you brought up an interesting thing you talk about how the artists they want to release music they want to make it then release it not necessarily focus on the traditional career aspect of being a musician because you know it's a, it could be a grind it's a job really and i think one of the things that i've always appreciated about this sort of area of music is that it really is about the music and people aren't necessarily as interested in the ego or the traditional like performer side of it you know there's not a um like an aria and a grande of the synthwave world there are a few people that are trying to maybe um 
work in that space a little bit, but by and large, it's not about that, um, which is a blessing and a curse. You know, it, it makes it harder to expand right. into bigger things. Um, but it also means that you've got a pretty passionate and committed artist and fan base to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't, yeah, like, I don't think it's a, it's definitely not a bad mindset to be in. It's, it's definitely good. But yeah, it's just, uh, I think another part that's interesting about it is the fact that most of these artists are just like one person. So they're also like, um, you know, pretty protective, um, you know, because it's like just them making all of this stuff. It's like all of them. Um, so I think like naturally that just like makes like makes them pretty like protective of that kind of stuff and like, um, you know, any sort of like social media presence being like, you know, not done by them, I guess. Um, I don't really know how to explain what I'm trying to say, but yeah, it's just, it's a very interesting, uh, I don't know, the type of people we work with are very, very interesting people and definitely, uh, definitely pretty well like, they're, thoughtful, they're, i mean i think everyone people, that i've sure. interacted with is is pretty accessible i can have conversations with artists promoters labels pretty openly and freely and it's not really a guarded um canned standard response you know thank you for reaching out we appreciate your interest da, 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 da. It's, it there's usually some thought and um consideration put into a lot of those things even if it's a a no or whatever it is um you know i'll i'll say it out loud we've been trying to get perturbator on the show like forever um but even perturbator mm -hmm. reached out and gave a very very thoughtful reasoning as to why he doesn't want to do it and da 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 and he didn't have to do that at all and still said he wanted to hang out with us. And still said he wanted to right. hang out, which was great. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I think that is a really a key difference. Um, when you're bigger and you're more of a an industry, it's harder to have those kinds of personal connections and to have the time to be able to invest in that kind of a thing. Um, usually it's delegated to another person on the team, blah, 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 where it's I was talking to that person. They put the time and energy into that. Um, and so in a way it's a kind of a cottage industry it's all these little artisans banding together to do this whole thing and we cut out the great thing is we've cut out major labels we've cut out all the things that i think we dislike about commercialized music um, but in that sort of way there are some logistics that you you can't overcome by staying really small that way and, but do we want it to be bigger? That's, I don't know. Do you want to be a a bigger record company? Even if it's like Burning Witch Records or something, they're still small, but they've got multiple staff and, you know, a lot of people doing a lot of things, even for a record label of that size. Yeah, are you doing this all yourself or do you have any other helpers? Uh, so for... For like the longest time since the beginning of it, it was primarily uh, me and one other guy. 
and we were, you know, we'd make like pretty much all the decisions together. And um, he was mainly, as far as like specific roles, he was doing a lot of the like day-to-day shipping and customer service, you know, kind of stuff. Um, and I would help out with big pre-order, you know, when all the, when the records arrived and we had to ship out all the pre-orders, like, you know, I would always help out with those. Um, but as of two months ago, I want to say it's pretty recent still, um, he has decided to pull out of it and uh, focus more on his uh, personal music and um, some other priorities. So at this moment, moving forward, it is just me. It is a lot of work. So thank you for all that work. It's a, it's a work of passion Yes. and not always, uh, you know, it's not, it's not easy. You're looking at shipping 300 records out. Woof. And how many releases are you doing like a year? I'm just curious. Yeah. It always, it always seems to wildly vary based on just the state of the world and transitioning with things. Um, but I want to say, so from 2019 to now, which is when we rebranded as Eyewitness Records and kind of restarted the roster, um, like the catalog roster or whatever. I think from 2019 to now would have been, I mean, this is about specifically August of 2019. So, you know, about two years we've done. Man, that's not bad. That's that's a lot of releases. That's a lot of releases. I want to say. Yeah. No, I'm definitely, yeah, I'm definitely happy with it for sure. Um, you know, COVID kind of screwed everything up, unfortunately, with, uh, well, with a lot of things, but specifically the right. manufacturing and releasing Chillsynth records, just like, yeah, just having any sort of like solid timeline. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we haven't done a release in a couple months at this point, and there are a lot of releases coming up that are in the pipeline. I want to say off the top of my head, there are. Man, I don't even. So you've got, 15, holy shit. Busy boy. That's, I mean, you're talking yeah. thousands of dollars per release. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to say. Hey, wait, let me, sorry, let me, let me rack it really quick. Yeah, there's probably like 12 releases and most of those are going to be like the double format, like two of them at the same time by the same artist. And then on top of that, there's a couple, uh, like three, three to four LP box sets. So yeah, there's a, you know, a nice mix of old and new faces, which is always great. Um, okay, I'm thinking more. And <laughs> you it's, forgot. The number just keeps That's going up the more I think about it. Um, because <laughs> yeah, I'm, for people that so, yeah. are wondering about that side of it, you once you go into production, you pay all up front. You pay all that stuff. So you, do, you go and you do a deposit typically for your um, test press. You get test press back. 
Yeah, I mean, I can I can go through it really quick. I mean, basically, as far as initial costs go, it's like the artwork um, and vinyl mastering. You know, those are like the two initial costs that you have to knock out. And then, you know, for the most part, it's like a 50% deposit on the manufacturing. And then, you know, give it a couple months and then you pay that other 50%. Um, and usually I like to do, ideally, I like to, I like to put pre-orders up for that specific record in between those deposits. So like pay the first 50%, get the test pressing, approve that test pressing. And then once that is done, then like put it up for pre-order. Um, I mean, in a perfect world, I would love to just do every single album you know, when it goes up for sale, it's available and ready to ship, but it's just not at this present moment, it's not possible. Um, if I want to have any chance of like catching up with this queue of releases that I just mentioned. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it is definitely, uh, you know, when you start stacking up all those releases and trying to order them all at the same time, it is definitely a decent amount of uh, money up front, for sure. I mean, I, I, um, what I'm hearing is like $20,000 at least worth of, of me, money up front. That's <laughs> quite the endeavor. Yeah, yeah, probably. I'm just, you yeah. know, like, and Maybe that's a just, more. Um, I think it's really, I think it's important to hear because I, I see a lot of, um, you know, like things on the internet, people talking about, you know, complaining about vinyl manufacturing or this that or the other caveats and and i know a little bit about clearly a little bit about how the process works and you know i it is what it is and there's certain things you can't control the manufacturing delays are not your fault shipping delays aren't your fault you have no control over that right. um and obviously there's this big talk about the the pre-order culture that's risen um a lot in in our, specifically our scene and um unfortunately you know you've got all those releases as a lot of money and you're just one person and i think I, what i hope that people take away is one person doing the paying for all the things the mastering helping the artwork uh sending in to do the pre-orders test press and then ultimately all the shipping on top of it that is an enormous endeavor for 12 releases in a year it's a huge endeavor one of the the big takeaways that i want people who buy vinyl to get out of this is that pre-orders are in no means a bad thing pre-orders are a very good thing for this because not everyone's made of money and if you want to see these releases that definitely helps absolutely yeah so don't be don't be hating on pre-orders yeah. No, I'm 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 with you 100%. I mean I mean even and even with bigger artists like uh back in oh when was it? It must have been like May maybe, May or June. I ordered um they did a repress of all four 12 inches uh that Sophie did. Um back in the day and i've always wanted to get copies of those and uh as soon as i saw the pre-order go up for those represses i was like i i gotta snag these now 
And I mean, at that time it was like, you know, these aren't coming out until August or something. And, and then I got like a message like a week later saying like, oh, they're going to come out actually in like October or something, you know, which is like, you know, that's like a lot of time, you know, especially for a bigger artist like that. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's just kind of the way, the way it is. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's much of a reason to get super hung up or upset about it. Um, yeah, I mean, a year-long pre-order, eh, that might be pushing it, but. Yeah, I think we've got a, a, a record from Woob that's going on at, at least a year at this point. So, yeah, the, uh, I, I forget, it's like something.exe. Um, I think the pre-order went live. It, it By the time I had ordered it, the it had met its funding goal on the Bandcamp vinyl thing. And that must have been in August of last year. And it's just mm. now finally getting ready to ship. Now. Yeah. And that's obviously not anything that Woob wow. did. That's not his fault. You know that. <laughs> All right, Kyle. Do you right. have anything else we want to talk about with, with Alex while we've got him here? No. Alex, do you have anything else you want to talk about while we're here? I want I just want to be respectful of your time and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, of course. Um I I'm trying to think. Uh I mean, I definitely, you know, really quick, you know, I'd like to hear a little more from your, from your guys' side, like just about the genre and, you know, your thoughts on the future, you know, the current state of it and why you, I mean, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of similarities for why we enjoy the music, but I would definitely love to hear more from um, your guys. You know, end, it's, it's a weird for me personally it's a weird mix of of um it hitting the the nostalgia thing cuz like when i first heard synthwave um it was like everything that i'd been searching for that i wanted in music that wasn't being made and and i'd got that first tease from like um the drive soundtrack like oh this is i really love the drive soundtrack and that was like the first sort of introduction of something more but it wasn't quite synthwave um and then obviously it came out proper and it was totally it um now i'm i'm excited about the the innovation that can happen in a scene because you can't do the same thing forever over and over again and i think for me personally it's that transition into going from primarily an internet based musical interest into the live aspect of it and seeing a lot of these guys live and what that does to your music. Cause I think, you know, my observation is that when bands go from primarily a studio based artist to performing live, their music changes. It, it affects cause you start to anticipate how the crowd is going to react in a live setting. And I think that's might be the next interesting thing to also kick some things into the music. Um, and that innovation in, in other ways where younger people are coming in and doing, doing things. And so, um, you know, that's, 
where I am and it keeps me going. And, and I want to see, I want to see all my, the people that I love live. That's primarily my, you know, what I'm trying to do now kind of through nitro wave is, is get as many people as we possibly can to see them live, get them in front of people and see what that does. And, um, that's really, you know, I, I'm excited. I'm still excited about the music. You know, I love the fact that it, um, no matter what age it seems, it strikes this very int- almost introspective, emotional, pure core to people. And whether it's darker elements or chill synth or, or whatever, it's people get excited about it. And, and I don't know about, I know this is true for Kyle. I don't know about for you, but if you find out that someone likes this type of music, it's almost like you're an instant friend. Like, Oh, we get it. We get each other. We have a common point here. I can relate to you. And so I see a lot of socially awkward people being able to overcome a lot of, of uh, those sort of anxieties because we have this thing we both love. And so it brings people together um, in a really pure way that strips away kind of all the stressors and what i love about the music too is that it's not politically oriented it's not um it is culturally anchored in a time that's not the present so it's not nearly as divisive as like current social things doesn't matter if you're a guy from saudi arabia or china or south america or wherever you're probably going to like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie or some sort of eighties movie or thing and, and understand it and, um, and have that as a cultural anchor point that we all can talk about. That's my, that's my feeling. What about you, Kyle? What's your, what's your thoughts? So I guess like going back to how I got into it, uh, I don't really know. I think it was maybe just a natural progression of going off of the uh, French electronic music that was coming out, I don't know, mid to late, early 2000s. That, and it just kind of morphed into the, you know, the huge umbrella that is, just, I would just say, maybe like synthesizer-based music. I don't know if I would just say retro, because some of it's, you know, maybe it's a little... <clears throat> influenced by retro stuff but not all of it is and i can appreciate all of that it's just it has the common idea it just really clicked with me i've liked it i've ran with it um i would say the vinyl aspect also was a big motivator for me too if all this stuff wasn't available on vinyl i really wonder if i would have got into it as much uh as i am right now and i mean even going back off that to our discussion at the beginning of the show, I just looked in my uh, email mailbox to find the actual day that I ordered uh, Odyssey, and it was November 18th of 2016. It's like, oh, there's the exact day that I got <laughs> that. That's a long time ago. So you were like 22 years old or something like that when yeah. you started this out. That's crazy. Yeah, I was still in college. I was starting my senior year of college right when we were kind of getting, you know, it was like that summer really of 2016 where we were starting to kind of, you know, get everything moving. and Good for you. You got that hustle. I couldn't imagine doing that at that age. 
I hope so. Yeah, it was it was interesting for sure. I definitely, um, you know, I did fine in school, uh, but I was definitely interested in other things. I was definitely interested in that and DJing. I can tell you that I was more interested class. in anything else other than what I was doing in college the seven and a half years that I went. <laughs> and of course they didn't make me a doctor, which is bullshit. <laughs> Find that totally unfair, but whatever. It's, I don't even, I don't even use bullshit. all the things that I did. College was a good time. I will say that, but I don't know if it was really... Uh, a payoff to where I am in life now, unfortunately, <laughs> but good times. Yeah, col- college is such an interesting thing because, like, yeah, I feel like personally, like when I really think about it, I don't, I don't know how much I really learned as far as like technical. You know, I went to school for like informatics and computer science, like you know, pretty like a pretty just like technical and like programmy like field as far as as far as it's like foundation goes but like even doing like a four-year program I don't I feel like I didn't really learn like that much I feel like what I learned was how to like talk to people you know and like how to like how to and, and you know that sounds silly but I guess more specifically like how to how to make like relations with people, you know, that will like further your own personal growth as like a human, whether it's like a good person or as like a career, you know, it's, uh, I feel like for me personally, that was kind of like the big thing I got out of college. And, uh, you know, a lot of that was through like the band I was playing in and like starting the, the label and stuff and DJing. Um, I think just being in like a college town, like it was just like a, it's just like a, what's the word? Like a, it's just like a great environment for like cultivating that. Like if you take the whole like school part. I agree a hundred percent. It's very interesting. You know, just going off of more of what you said, just learning, you know, it's like a cliche thing to say, learning more about yourself, um, being able to choose my friends then that maybe had more interest in things that I did rather than the people I grew up with or went to high school with. Like, here's your friends in high school and you know, they're your friends because your pool is smaller and you're stuck with these people. Maybe they really aren't the friends for you. Like I don't hang out with anybody I knew growing up or in high school, but like the people that I met, you know, in my college time going on forth now are the best friends that I have. And like those relationships, relationships have been going because, you know, we've got these things in common. I've learned, you know, more things like how to talk to other people, like you were saying. Good times. Although yeah, I don't know how, how much that, that I kind of got us off the rails on your question <laughs> with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> But going back to that, um, and I think Eric kind of touched on it with, you know, meeting other people who are, you know, into the same kind of music. You've got a common bond, you can be friends. And I find that usually these people are interested in also the other aspects that you might be down with, too. Like, 
I like old video games. A lot of people like this are done with old video games. Of course, the movies are always a huge connector, too. It's a, uh, a lot of shared um, interests make it a lot easier. And everyone who's into it, um, everyone's all excited about it as much as the other person. So again, like Eric was saying earlier, uh, everyone's really accessible. Everyone will take the time to talk to you. It's just like a, a big friends group, really. So uh, it makes it really easy to be into this, this scene. And then I wanted to ask you another That's question. Good. Is it 100% or mainly you um, choosing an artist to release their work on vinyl? Or has an artist approached you and then you've then explored their work and said, yeah, this is a good fit. I feel like this is something I want to release. It's a good mix, I would say. Um, I'm trying to think of specific examples. And like, I mean, I remember Allison, Allison and Emil Rotmayer were both ones that I, or I guess we at the time, uh, approached because we liked their music and thought it would fit with what we were doing um who else i think system 96 was the same way admo was the same way um yeah i'd say like the majority the majority of artists we've released are people we have reached out to um there's definitely a couple that is the other way around for sure but it's probably, honestly, it's probably like an 85% um, us reaching out to the artist. And, you know, we've had like, I don't know, I'm not going to name names, but like there was an artist that reached out to us um, that wanted to release their first album with us. And uh, I listened to it and it just didn't really, you know, didn't really do... Uh, the thing I was saying about the emotional resonance, just for me personally, like it really wasn't doing anything for me. Um, so like passed on it. Um, I mean, they've gone on to do pretty good stuff for sure, which is, which is awesome. Um, I'm glad I was like, you know, kind of wrong about that, I guess, in a sense. Um, but yeah, I guess like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know why I'm mentioning this now. I'm kind of just rambling, <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, but I'm always, you know, I'm always down to listen to demos, of course, and like, yeah, it's not like it has to. Like, I've seen I've seen labels where they're like, we don't take demos. Like, we, you know, we have to like we decide everything. You know, like we have to reach out to you, not you to us. And it's just, I think that's silly. It's a little like, I don't know. You can still curate your own like style and label like as pinpoint as you want. And you can still like listen to demos. I don't know. I think that's agreed. It's just like a little, I, I appreciate um, that there, I'm sure there is some elitism that exists but by and large it's not an elitist culture i hope there are some people that would argue that but i feel by and large it's not that way it's really more about 
connecting people and not gatekeeping or and it's one thing to say you know hey this doesn't really jive with the mood or the thing that i'm trying to do versus you shall not be allowed ever to proceed forward which seems like that could be the case in other musical formats um or excuse me genres you know that could be that way um or you know like um it's interesting i was having a conversation with someone else about like how um certain areas of the country their version of a thing isn't viewed as like genuine or like it's silly or something like that because it's based in chicago or atlanta versus some other place in the world um which seems really silly to me that just because of your geographical location you're considered not as as um like valid whereas like i feel like it doesn't matter where you are um and what you're doing or where you're doing it on as long as it's good and it connects people or resonates with people that's that's it that's the most important thing yeah absolutely i think i think and that's to me that's like one of the huge beauties of the internet of, of learning, you know, finding new things through the internet. I think that's a huge, because it, there is no geographical location. And I mean, especially even specific to these chill synth and synthwave artists, like, you know, most of these people, you know, to some degree, like, they don't have like a face to their music. Like, I don't know if anyone has seen a picture of like Emil Rotmeyer before, you know, like I, I think I've seen one picture of him maybe personally and like, but like publicly, I don't think I've ever seen a picture of him. Um, Allison has posted a picture too, but yeah, it's just like, I don't know. You can, you, it kind of like takes all those barriers down. Um, yeah. I it's, it's bizarre to think that that's, that is like, unfortunately a factor. I mean, Recently, I've, I uh, I was getting into Outcast for the first time, and I was reading online about how, when they were first starting their career, like a lot of people um, in like the industry and like rap fans and stuff weren't like wouldn't take them seriously because they were from the south, and like it was just like no one like was taking like southern rap seriously, and then they kind of like you know showed them up with like i mean those first couple outcast albums are just incredible like and now there's a whole like style that is like southern rap i don't know it's super super interesting it it definitely Um, is um there's a a whole series on netflix about the different geographic rap things which i think is really interesting will you remember what it's called i don't remember what it was called at the top of my head it was a good watch though definitely worth it yeah and and it goes into a lot of what you're talking about there so people should look to check out that i forget uh, exactly what it is so that's not helpful to anyone but just know that there's a rap documentary series on netflix about all the different eras and geographic locations of the history of rap Yeah, I will, I will totally have All to right. give that I think, a watch. Um, I think this is a good Sounds place to cool. end our excellent conversation, Alex. I just want to really say thank you for sitting down with us and, uh, and chatting and really getting, uh, I think, a good look into 
know, your aspect of, of what you do. And, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you both, Eric and Kyle. Like, thank you so much for having me. This was a, this was a really good time. I, yeah, I love talking about all this And we do too. Kind of so thank Absolutely. you for being on. <laughs> all right. Well, until next time, this is Eric. And this is Kyle. Thank you, Alex, for coming on. Motherfucking paradise I can't Oh yeah Oh yeah Paradise I can't